This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is our full story summer series. I'm joined today by sound designer Camilla Hannon, who's joining from Melbourne. Hello, Camilla. Hey, Laura. Is this your first time with your voice on the podcast? (laughs) Well, you know, sound designers and audio engineers, we're not keen on being front and centre. Well, isn't that technically your voice, you know, in each episode, the sound design? Yeah, that's right. And I'm much more comfortable with that, to be honest. (laughs) Camilla, today you are taking us into a synth gym what is this? Explain this concept to me. Okay, so MESS, or Melbourne Electronic Sound Studio, is this, like, incredible space. It's located down an alleyway in North Melbourne, and it's it's described by its artistic directors, Robin Fox and Byron Scullin. This is kind of gym for synths, where you take out a membership and you can go and, you know, do synth workout sessions. And... Um, <laughs> The difference being that rather than a treadmill, you get to play one of their remarkable and often rare synthesizers. So there's machines like the CS80, which was used by the composer Vangelis for the Blade Runner soundtrack, or the Fairlight CMI, which was used by Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel, or the ARP 2600, which provided the voice of R2-D2 in Star Wars. So there's so many incredible instruments. And the history of electronic music has, yeah, it's been one of white cis men. So the really interesting story about Mess is they're trying to change that. Coming up, the Cabinet of Curiosities. Hey, how are hey, you? Camilla, how's it going? Good. Hi, Nina. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. All right, here we are. Here we are. So we've just come off the main road which is near the hospital and we're going down the laneway where mess is and um, there's a dark red door and a sort of gate in front of it and there's a doorbell just here so you press the doorbell And you wait for someone to let you in. Good morning. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good. <laughs> it's a long, skinny room. It has a bit of a sort of basement feeling, I guess. Concrete walls, concrete ceiling. Uh, one whole wall is sort of filled with multiple synthesizers, drum machines. Some of them are small units without keyboards. Some of them have keyboards. There's cables everywhere. <laughs> um, and then there's a bunch of different workstations where people can use synthesizers and do some recording and kind of sit and work during their sessions. Uh, my name's Nina Buchanan. I am a musician uh, and I'm a studio supervisor at MESS. So tell me what we're looking at. <laughs> It's the Yamaha CS80. It's like the size of maybe like a small kitchen table. And it has a keyboard and a whole bunch of controls on the top panel. And they have uh, different colored uh, sliders. They're green and red and black and white and yellow. And there's a little tone selector with little lights that shine in different colours also. Yeah, Um, so what does it sound like? It sounds like this. (laughs) 
Can you tell me how many instruments you reckon there are? I don't, I don't even know how many instruments we have in the collection. I've lost touch, but it's it's a lot. Thousands, I would assume. Here in a country studio in Kent is Daphne Oram, a pioneer of a new type of music. Unlike the traditional composer, she uses no musical instruments and no musicians. She produces sounds by electronic devices, some of them sounds unlike any ever heard before. Yeah, my introduction to electronic music partly um, ties into why mess happened. I was really fascinated by sound and, and come from like a genetic line of people who have also been fascinated by sound. My mother, Cindy John, made computer music in the late 70s and early 80s and was an experimental composer basically for all of my childhood. Anyway, one day a friend of mine discovered three synthesizers in a dumpster. And so three friends, we took one each so I've just patched this up. This is a three oscillator synthesizer, a couple of ring modulators and filters and things like that. But um, so we can just hear a little bit of it here. So where, where is this made? This was made in Australia in, the, in 1976 or so by my stepfather, Jim Sosnan. And so I took it back to my place for dinner and I said, Jim, is this a VCS-3? And he said, no, I built that, but I've got a VCS-3 upstairs. And then he came downstairs with a VCS-3, which is this beautiful antique. And that's when I said, okay, well, take me upstairs. Like, what else have you got up there? And what he had up there was Keith Humble's entire electronic music studio. So Keith Humble was the composer who founded the La Trobe University Music Department in 1975. So there wasn't really much going on in Melbourne at that time. And um, then Keith Humble set up his electronic music studio and just made it accessible to people and started running workshops for anyone who wanted to come in and kind of experience these instruments that he had. And so I found myself at this point in the late 90s kind of holding these instruments. And I thought, I should really find a way to get other people <laughs> to have access to this. Historically, a lot of the instruments would only be kept within a university or something like that. A lot of them are very expensive. It would have just been mostly white men accessing these machines. MESS is for people who are already making electronic music, for sure. But I think 
It's also for people who have never made music in their life and would like to start. So then in conversation with um, Byron Scullin, who was also sort of wondering about a place where we could have a, you know, a much more community-focused way of talking about experiencing and imparting knowledge and skill sets around electronic music, but also the fact that electronic music is something that happens so much in isolation. Why couldn't we create a place where people could maybe meet and come together? Byron and I are both friends with um, Wally DeBacker, a.k.a. Gautier who had that amazing, you know, hit single, somebody that I used to know. And Wally's a really interesting musician and was really fascinated by particularly the quirkier side of electronic music history. And one of the things that he did was start to acquire quite a considerable and really interesting collection of electronic musical instruments. So when we sat down with Wally and told him about this idea, he just said, well, here's some funds. Basically, it was like seed funding. But the biggest thing that he did was he said, you can have access to my entire collection of instruments to make available to the public. And then we heard about this guy who had this phenomenal collection of synthesizers. And um, Tony Osmond has been collecting synthesizers since he was about 15 years old. And again, when we sat down with him and talked about what we wanted to do, the idea really resonated with him as well. And um, between my collection and Wally's collection and uh, Tony's collection, we actually ended up with the largest collection of instruments that's publicly available almost anywhere in the world. There are a few similar institutions uh, around the place, but um, very few. And there's a technical reason why it's good for these machines to be switched on and warmed up really regularly. It actually keeps them alive. They're like old cars. You can't just leave them in the garage. They'll stop working. So having voltage running through these machines regularly and keeping them warm and keeping them used is actually what we call preservation through use. I think I find synthesis endlessly mysterious um, and it feels like there's no end, which I love. What I like about synthesis and working with these machines is the sort of unexpected parts and it's almost like the more I do the more there is to discover. The sounds you can make are always surprising I guess. Hey Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks.
Every year we run two uh, residencies where we offer to local artists a significant amount of time and some resources, financial resources, to come in and, and make work. And then once a year we do this concept called the Mess Residence Reveal, which is where they can take things from the Mess Collection to a show and perform on these instruments that they've been working with. And it's just a building a vibrant group of human beings with a common interest, and that common interest is sound. Uh, so I'll welcome to the stage first up, Sarah Ritalik. Uh, please make her feel very welcome. Uh, my name is Sarah Ritalik. I'm an artist who works primarily with sound. I've had a sort of a strange journey with synthesis. I grew up in a regional area and I was into music as a kid and I played guitar, but I always wanted to explore electronic music, but I didn't have the means to sort of make that happen or the facilities available to me. And um, in around 2015, I decided to go and do a fine art degree. <laughs> that was sort of my first introduction to tactile engagement with synthesizers. Yeah, I think there's something about the the vastness of synthesis that I find quite exciting. There's sort of no limits. I think there can be an intimidating experience for some people who might be new to synthesis, but Mess has put in a lot of great sort of strategies for creating a really inclusive space. Anyone can walk in off the street and book a session there. And it just means that it's a really diverse collection of people who visit visit the place. You don't have to be really proficient in synthesis to go there and use the gear. You can have never touched a synthesizer in your life and walk in and whoever's working will be able to help you sort of get into synthes synthesis for the first time. Disons que c'est ça maintenant ma partition. Ce que je peux faire déjà pour vous, c'est vous faire entendre simplement. Voilà. So, can you give me your name and you know what you do? My name is Vijay Chilamudu. I'm an audiovisual artist and electronic musician. Right now I'm standing in front of the Buchler 200 system. It's a series of panels that are all individual modules that you patch them together with different cables and you can control or shape the sound with sort of different parameters. It's got this, what I would call sort of an organic kind of feel to it. Um, the first time I even played one, I sort of felt like I was interfacing with some kind of alien technology and it's essentially this very harmonically rich and very, very shapeable system. It really comes from this school of instrument development where it was, what is electronic music? What can we do with this new emerging technological form? How is it going to be different to, you know, acoustic music? It was really, um, trying to be kind of revolutionary. I suppose there's that um, image of synth enthusiasts being kind of nerdy. Yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree with that? 
I, I actually don't know that I um, necessarily like agree with the idea of like what like a nerd is and I don't think that really exists in a lot of cultures like I feel like in Japan if you're good at something and you know a lot about something that's something to be very proud of whereas um, this sort of idea that you know people who are knowledgeable or go into this particular area of knowledge in such a deep way they should somehow be ashamed of that is just pretty absurd um so is it plugged into the speaker yeah I think it is let me just check Um, as a studio supervisor at Mess, I'm basically here to welcome you into the studio and there's definitely a level of um, trepidation when people are confronted with these instruments. They certainly look very complicated um, and I think it's, it's really important to give people enough confidence that, I mean, these instruments, they're, they're there to be used. Um, I, I really think it's important to to just sort of um, empower people, <laughs> yeah, to play, to, to have fun. All right, so I've got it recording. Okay. My name's Janine, and at MESS, I'm a studio supervisor, an educator. I have been a a musician since I was probably 12 years old when I started. I started learning the drums and then I discovered electronic music probably like not long after I finished high school. Yeah, I think it was a probably 2007 I, I bought my first synthesizer. I, I got a microcorg. Um, so I started off teaching workshops a couple of years ago now, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, and I started the introduction to Eurorack modular synthesis, and I still teach that now. Earlier this year, I took over running the introduction to mess workshop, and I took over doing the main teaching for the um, synthesis for women, trans, and non-binary people. One of the big concerns that we had I guess being, you know, two middle-aged white guys starting a synth uh, <laughs> organisation was that we didn't want this to be full of people like me. And I have to, I have to give credit to uh, one of our uh, early employees, uh, Emma Fox, who is no relation of mine, but um, what Emma described to me, which was a real sort of just a bit of a light bulb moment for me, she just said that it's an incredibly different experience for uh, a woman or non-binary person to come to a place like Mess than it is for a man to come here. And, and she described it to me in this way. She said, it's really easy for a guy to walk in here and just go, oh, cool, this is amazing, show me how this works. And she said that for a woman or non-binary person to come in here, that they come in here expecting to be patronised and diminished and this is the culture. I really wanted to make sure the language is inclusive of the audience that was uh, trans people and gender diverse people, non-binary folks, to make sure that when they read about the workshop, 
they knew that this was for them, that this was a place they could go and they could feel comfortable sitting in, in, a, in a workshop of other people that made them feel a part of that place and a place in electronic music, whether they were a practitioner or whether they were just a fan, to let them know that this was a, a safe space for them to come and explore ideas and, and learn about synthesis. And so it's not enough just to say, hey, we're going to put the membership out to women and non-binary people first. You have to invite them here in a way that is really inviting and encouraging to convince them that this is not what they assume it's going to be. <laughs> and they're all assuming it's going to be that. So on the back of that, we did yeah, institute the Women Non-Binary Workshop Program, which has been just a runaway success ever since. I, I think the most important thing about creating space for marginalised groups that I, that I think about at MESS is really making sure the language uh, is, is clear and, and the visibility of marginalised communities exists at MESS. You know, even images uh, of people in the studio, I think, is, is important so people can see themselves in the studio and, and realise that, oh, this is a space for me. You know, it's that old saying that, you can't be what you can't see. When you see people who you feel look like you in a space, you feel a little bit more that you can belong there too. And I think that's really important, um, particularly given the, the, some of the history of electronic music, you know, femme and, and queer people, trans people are such an important part of the story of electronic music that is often forgotten or left out that's been a part of marginalised communities feeling like they're not welcome. You know, and that also includes people of colour who are, have been incredibly important in the development and the advancement of electronic music. We're all a part of that story and we deserve to feel included in the progression of that story. Well, you're looking at uh, one of the very first A-Track machines. We used it for switched on Bach, well-tempered synthesizer, right through a uh, good half of Clockwork Orange. Wendy Carlos in her studio in Greenwich Village is one of the pioneers of synthesized sound. Her controversial versions of the classics, created entirely electronically, put machine-made music on the map. I think for me personally, I was acutely aware of that because of the experience of I guess watching my mother's uh, struggle, to put it mildly, with um, with the patriarchy and with the not being taken particularly seriously as an artist, and the kind of effect that that had on her, which was quite profound, and you know was part of the reason that you know she left us too early. I would imagine it was a it was a struggle for her uh, being a, a creative person, particularly working in a technological field. I definitely was affected by that, I think, and it was a big part of my desire to make this a place for everybody. So I guess as a trans person, as a disabled person, I can, I can speak to those experiences. And uh, we have run a couple of workshops now for disabled folks, and I took part in teaching a course in Warrnambool earlier this year that was aimed at 
school-aged kids and we had a couple of workshops with folks from local disabled organisations and just allowing them to have access to electronic instruments to allow them to be like, I can create these sounds too. This is an inclusive space for me as well, not just able-bodied folks. I think for me, teaching those courses and those workshops particularly teaching the the workshop for women, trans and non-binary people where I can see people from my community walking through the door and maybe walking through the door with a little bit of apprehension but then walking away four hours later with a smile on their face and being excited about electronic music and about their place in electronic music and creating it themselves. That's what's been really important to me and really remains a reason why I, I, I work at MESS, why I'm part of the community, why I love it so much. I always tell people, I'll never leave. They will have to bury me in the place. This is my favourite dial. Okay, so this is the, the Moog um, source. Just turn that dial. Ooh, it's every, it really makes the same sound when they turn it. It's like, ooh, oh, that's my favourite. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So many machines. So many. That was MESS co-founder and artistic director Robin Fox with producer Camilla Hannon. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannon and some of the music in this episode was also made by her using the MESS collection. You also heard original music from Nina Buchanan, Sarah Ritalik and Vijay Tillamutu. If you want to see some pictures of the synths featured in the MESS collection, we've put a link to those on the full story page as well. Okay, thanks for listening.